0: Hello, friends. In today's episode, we have the second half of a two-part conversation with Sandy Hall of Hall's Living Library, Jill Morgan of Purple House Press, and Tanya Arnold of Biblioguides about the beloved landmark book series. You can hear the first half of this conversation by going backwards to Wednesday, either at your favorite podcasting app or at our Podbean podcast website. Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person.
1: So I think we've established the quality of the books and the reason why you'd want to have them in your home. Mm-hmm. I also didn't learn about them till maybe 2015, 2016.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was surprising to me because I spent a lot of time in the library as a child and it just yes. felt like a whole new world that I did not know about. It was actually a little upsetting to discover mm-hmm. that this entire series that was very popular and actually sold really well, uh, millions of copies, they think. I just had never come across. I just didn't know about it. And at the time, you could buy lots on eBay as well yes. for around 6 to $10 per book. Right. And I noticed that that's gone down. I do notice if you spend some time becoming familiar with this series, in my area at least, I will find onesies and twosies here and there at the thrift store. Yeah. And that's always a fun treasure to find. But I think this calls out the importance of a couple of things. One it's the importance of lending libraries throughout the country. Amen. So as more and more women who understand the work of the authors of that time period and the publishers of that time period and are establishing libraries that have living books to try to find one in your area, mm-hmm. because then you can have access to these books in a really powerful way. And mm-hmm. some women like myself, as we homeschoolers or after schoolers get to know each other, I'm willing to lend books to my friends, even though I don't have quote unquote, a lending library. <laughs> so and then the second thing is people like Jill, who are bringing back some of these landmarks and other treasures. Yes. As they are becoming available, maybe think about setting aside money in your budget to support that work. Because if we support the work, That is going to put more books into circulation right now for future generations to buy at library sales. Correct. So if you want your children to be able to be getting these books at thrift stores and library sales, we need to be purchasing them now because that's what mamas were doing in the fifties. Mamas were paying the price. Right. So mamas need to consider doing that now too, I think. And and at the level that you can afford and that is reasonable, but I think it would be worth it to buy one good living book that's in print over ten less quality books that you can find at your thrift store.
0: Well, and if we think about box curriculum some, and I, I think every family needs to do what is best for them. So there is zero judgment for me. If you get your curriculum in a box or you send your child to a classical school or you're kind of free range, Charlotte Mason, like I am, whatever it is, anywhere in between, do what works for you. Discern that with your, you know, you and your family make the best decision for you that said, I think when I am looking at curriculum options, I'm always weighing what is the cost of a spine and how does that compare to buying living books that would cover the same material, maybe as well, maybe better, that would then be books that will sit on my shelf forever that I'm not trying to resell at the end of the year or give away. So I think of it that way, too, is that what is the cost to educate my child? And, and we can't buy all the books. We know that nobody can. You know, you're going to have to make use of the library. And it, there's no shame in sharing with friends and definitely find a lending library. But when you are deciding what to buy, a consumable workbook or a living book that can live on your shelf, for me, the answer is, unless I'm trying to teach handwriting, probably I'm just going to buy the <laughs> living book. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And that's the third thing that I feel like is really important. And I think, I know this is controversial, but I'm going to go there anyway, (laughs) is um, considering reading on a device. And I know that a lot of moms want to only read a book in hand. And I get that. I was that mom for a long time. And then I felt like that was a very first world, 21st century problem. And I kind of felt like I don't want, I would never want to speak to a mama from centuries before and say, well, I would only read it if I had it in hand, where I think so many women around the world now would be thrilled to have at their fingertips, what we have at our fingertips with technology, Mm -hmm. if they could just have that. And I think of all the people who are traveling overseas with their families, they cannot take their whole library. So a digital option is a really good option. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that there need to be safety protocols and there need to be limits on how much screen time, there's a lot of dynamics that go with that. There's nuance to that conversation. But I think like when you look at the landmarks, at least over 100 of them are available to read for free right now on Internet Archive. Mm. So no one has to walk away after listening to this podcast and think, well, I get that they're awesome, but I can't read them because you can. You can buy three from Jill. Well, two, almost three. <laughs> you can borrow them from people like Sandy in your area and you can read them for free on Internet Archive. And I have to say Internet Archive opened my world mm-hmm. when I realized that I didn't have to be left out of this story because some other family was going to own a book that I didn't own. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to, I can open it up on my iPad and sit with my child and read a story. And I've read for sure, hundreds and hundreds of picture books on Internet Archive, Mm -hmm. um, but also longer books. And I know, I know it's challenging. You can only borrow it for an hour and then you have to wait. I I get it. It's still worth the effort to have access to the best books. And I just think Charlotte Mason said, give your children the best books. And I, Mm -hmm. I sometimes wonder what would she say if we could have access to the best books with the copyright issues we have and the challenges we have with bringing books back into print and the rights and whatnot, I just think it's so much better to have the content. And then there was a time where I thought, well, I can own all the good books.
0: You can't. Nobody can own all the good books.
1: No. It's not possible. On BiblioGuides, we have a rapidly growing database. I think we're at about, I think we're over 11,000 books now. Sandy has 16 in her library. And Sandy, you find new ones all the time, right?
3: Yes. Oh, I don't even have half of what you have on there. The right. like Content is just so varied. Mm-hmm. I'm learning all the time when I look at that website all the time. Oh, mm-hmm.
1: that, so that's such a good point. Like you have 16,000, we have 11,000. I have probably, like I said, five to 10,000 books. I don't even have a smattering of my own personal library on BiblioGuides yet. Right. And you're Sorry. saying you don't have no. half of the books. No. So we no, put I all those know. together. We could be 30,000 books alone that yeah. we think are so good. They're the <laughs> I just want Mama's Hearts to consider opening towards the idea of being willing to read on a device in order to bring
3: the best into your family. Do you know if there are any of the landmarks done on Audible?
0: There or are. Like Vox? There yes. are. Yes, okay. and we had an article on our website years ago. I don't know, I have to go check and see if it's still there or if we took it down because the the ones that ended up on Audible are the ones, they were part of the okay. Sterling North series. So all, I think all of the Sterling North then became Audibles.
1: And there's other ones I think also though. So if you do have a Biblioguides account and you go to the advanced search and say add limits and choose the series landmarks and then go down to format and say, um audiobook, it will bring up all the landmarks that are on audio. And then you can do the same thing for free online. You could say, I'd like all the landmarks that are free online, and it will just bring up all the titles for you. There are 12 on Audible. Nice. Yeah. And so a lot of those are like you were saying, Sarah, a lot of those were the sterling point. But
0: I feel like there were a few that weren't. There were some I, other company. I think so but- too. I think there were a couple that were reprinted by somebody else and maybe. Mm-hmm. So then yeah. they got the rights. Yeah. Yeah. But that's still a lovely number to have available to listen to. Jill, do you have any interest in doing audiobooks for the landmark books you have, specifically like combat? Like, ho- how do your rights work for that?
2: I'd have to check. Each contract is different. Sometimes, like with Captain Kidd, ABC Whipple's family is, um, I don't know if you know, they're very famous. Chris Whipple is his son, the journalist. author. Oh, no. yeah. So we have an we worked through an agent on that one. And I think they're much more careful of what they give away in an agreement than um, just like working with an author's family who just want to see the books back in print. So it all depends on the contracts. Gotcha. And you know how I feel about audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> I do.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe
3: from that nurse's Jill. Well, hey. One of your other questions was, what was our favorites? Yes. And
0: I loved your question about, are there any you wouldn't have? So, Yes.
3: Well, I'll cover my favorites first. Maybe someone else can speak to theirs. Um, I grew up, I was a young girl in the 60s during the space program and all of that new coming out and everybody was so fascinated with space. So because of that, I love Gene um, Gurney's books on walk-in space and Americans in orbit. Yeah. Obviously they're not quite as narrative, but they're still fascinating to me because it, as an adult, now it gives me a picture of the excitement of that era for our okay. country. And then I also love the Gettysburg book. Um, my oldest son read everything he could get his hands on, on the civil war and knew more about it than I ever cared to know, and so that (laughs) was a favorite of his, I think, and then also um, Young Mark Twain in the Mississippi by Harnett T. Kane. Twain is local to where I grew up. He actually married a girl from the hometown area that I was from, Olivia Langdon, and he's actually buried there. So when I taught school in that area, I taught high school English, I took my students to his grave. And also on the campus of Elmira College, where I did my grad work, I walked by every day, his octagonal study. It's actually been moved off the Langdon farm, it was built by his wife for him as a gift. And years later, you can look it up on the internet, they show all the truck that moved it and everything. And they set it on the campus of Elmira College. Oh, cool. So I could walk by it every day. And so because of that local flair, Mm -hmm. you know, that local touch, I just loved it for that. And then later we moved to Michigan. And General Custer Mm -hmm. married a girl from a town right near us. Her name was Elizabeth Bacon. And she was from Monroe, Michigan. And so there's a lot of local history there about Custer and there's a big statue about of him right in downtown. So it's just that those local things that touch base to you personally. Yeah. And so like maybe someone from Boston would be more interested in Paul Revere and just make sure Sure. you read that and get the view of who that person was and how they contributed to the history of your area. I think that's what's neat about the landmark books too.
0: Oh, I love that. I have vivid, vivid memories of reading Geronimo aloud at the dinner table. Just love Ralph Moody. (laughs) I can't get enough Ralph Moody. And his Geronimo... I had never really heard Geronimo told from that perspective before. And I felt like everybody emerged from that book in full living color. And I had great sympathy for them by the end of it. So I love Geronimo. Tanya, what about you?
1: I've read some different ones. So we all know I love Captain Kidd.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: I did read Coming of the Mormons. I was interested in how that story was told. And it was, written by Jim Keelgard. Mm-hmm. He's not a member of the church, but he did a lot of research and he came to Utah and did a lot of research. And I thought the story was really well told. Oh, and good. he shares aspects of why the story of the Latter-day Saint people is integral to the American story. Oh. It's powerful. Like it is a really powerful story. So I really recommend that one. I also read quite a few that were controversial ones that I saw coming up in various groups that people had concerns about. And I just wanted to be able to speak to those ones. And I think one that comes up quite a bit that people have a lot of questions about, um, especially if you're Christian, is Jesus of Nazareth by um, Harry Emerson Fosdick. So there's a lot to be said about his personal theological viewpoints and his ideas. Um. So you could definitely go and read about that. We've got some articles that kind of link to him. You can Google that. So I think that's good for parents just to know like where is he coming from? What's his background? However, with that being said, I don't feel like the purpose of the book was to be a theological book. It wasn't set up or designed to teach theology or to convert anyone. Essentially, it was an important critical component to world history. What happened in world history when Jesus of Nazareth was born and when he died, and what are the integral components that happened that that hinged, the world hinged on that in, in a lot of ways. One being our calendar system, for example. Mm. I was looking at this book more of what were they trying to do from a historical aspect? What were they trying to teach or what were you, what did they want you to learn? So I did read this one with my children and we we thought it was really fascinating. A lot of the components had to do with the time period. What were people Mm. wearing? What did Mm -hmm. they eat? What was it like for the Jews to be under Roman rule? Mm. What would we have expected uh, Jesus of Nazareth to have been doing? The people around him, things like that. So it becomes more of a history, geology, maybe something similar to reading like Josephus or something where Mm. you're just, you're finding the history of the time period, not necessarily the divinity of Jesus as the savior of the world. And there's some components where he talks about, you know, some people believe this that he was the savior. So he opens the door to this particular belief system. He doesn't confirm it or deny it. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. But also I think it's interesting to consider that while there's millions and millions of people worldwide who are Christians, there's millions and millions of people who do not belong to Christianity and are very far from Christianity.
0: Mm -hmm. So you have
1: Islam, you have
0: Buddhism. Hinduism, Taoism, yeah. even Judaism.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, right. They also view <laughs> it a little bit differently. Their perspective is different. Yeah, uh, And then you have all of the primal indigenous type religions. Right. So there's a lot of people that don't have any context for Jesus of Nazareth, let alone a religious context for him. And so I think it could
0: have value. So it's no. designed to be more of a secular history.
1: Yeah, that's kind of how... I read it as, and what I kind of felt like the approach was meant to be. So in that aspect, I thought it has value and it has a place, but it needs to have its proper place. And you wouldn't want to weight it equally to say the Bible. I think it's worthy to at least kind of consider it before writing it off. But at the same time, I don't think it's perfect for every family. You might not, shelf space is valuable. You don't necessarily want to keep it on your shelf. You might just want to read it on internet archive. Um,
0: So... Well, I, I think it's just really important to have an explanation as to what is in this book and that this book is not necessarily going to be one that is written from a Christian perspective. And maybe that was by design because for it to have had a Christian bent, imagine all of the disagreements there would have been anyway <laughs> on all the different traditions inside of the Christian faith who might see it and read it very differently from another. So might not be a good book for you might be a great one for you i think the point is is that it could be really an interesting read because he does go
1: into some historical maybe even archaeological type things that maybe you haven't considered before that can bring a lot of context to the time period in the world in which the savior was living and that can be really interesting so i had an opportunity to live in israel for 2 months and study there in my early 20s and it was really fascinating because there were classes that we took where we delved into the bible So specifically from a religious context, Mm -hmm. we had those types of studies, but we also had studies that just revolved around going to archaeological sites and talking about what the time period was like, what the geology was like, and the geography. And um, touring the country and seeing what the culture was like now and what was the culture like back then, Mm -hmm. and talking about things that you would have expected in Jewish culture at the time. That gives more context for the parables, for example, or what people when, when the savior is talking about, he's teaching the people and he's teaching them parables. If if you have a similar vernacular to the people at the time, you can understand why those stories would have had such a strong impact and how they would have understood the stories differently than we might understand them today. So things like that I think are really interesting. And so I think that's maybe why the book speaks to me a little bit. I just remember thinking that it was trying to bring in those types of context and not just the story that you'd see in the Bible. It was trying to fill in some blank spaces. Some enrichment. Yeah. Some enrichment without making a statement one way or the other as to the divinity of Jesus. And so it was just interesting. And I think if somebody was looking for something like that, there's a lot of other children's books out there that were written in that time period that talk about Palestine at the time and what it was like. It felt kind of like that to me, is not as strongly as a biography, maybe, or maybe that's just what spoke to me when I read it.
0: It's fascinating that that book is included because history does turn on the the life and death of Jesus Christ, and yet there is so much disagreement about who he was, how he was, how he lived, and the world in which he lived in. So it is an interesting inclusion. I can see how you could not tell the story of human history without concentrating on this. And yet it's a challenging topic. It's a good opportunity for us to practice some critical thinking.
1: Yeah. So I'm actually glad you said that because I don't think it makes sense to have a series that does that without hitting on him. I think that would be a huge hole in the educational opportunity if he was omitted from a series that purported to teach world history.
0: Right. Right. Right? Absolutely.
1: It needs to be there. Now, Mm -hmm. how it's done can obviously be really difficult. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So this is where mamas who are listening will need to have a clear sense of how they're going to handle the truth when it comes to Jesus Christ. And then know that this is something that you can fit into your story. You can use it as a supplemental third-party type resource, the same way that we might read something that a Roman had written from that time period.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And these are books for mamas are short reads. So, yes. but it would be something that you could take a look at and see if you thought that it would make sense if you were just even doing a time period study Yes. Yeah. and wanted to include some of those aspects or not.
3: Sure. I took that out of my library and didn't keep it. I mean, part of it was my husband was a pastor mm-hmm. and I was lending to our church people mm-hmm. for years and years and years and so i couldn't just in good conscience lend that out without a lot of the backstory of like the of what you're sharing i wanted to be able to just feel free like i i like what's in this book and this i can wholeheartedly share with you yeah so and there were a couple of others like the first men in the world and prehistoric america that mm. just were against just in opposing to what I believed and what we were teaching our people. And so I just felt like it's better not to make that an issue with them. Mm -hmm. I do see the value though, Tanya, of what you said and reading it personally with your children and talking through, you know, what is this author's viewpoint? How does it come across in his writing? Because that helps them to better evaluate any other book. You're you're training them to look at viewpoints. And to be able to say, here's what he's saying, and here's why I think differently from him. Mm -hmm. And I think we've lost a little bit of that in our culture, that people just are led by whatever sounds good and aren't really able to process and reason through those kinds of evaluations of writing. We don't teach children how to read critically
0: as a culture, And I think there's so much value in reading things you do not agree with, but reading them in context so you can have that conversation. Even Jill's beautiful reprinting of Mark Twain's Joan of Arc, My Tuesday Night Classics Club just finished it this week. And um, we said, you know, as a bunch of Catholics reading it, we're like, you know, there are some things in here that. Twain. Maybe it came from his point of view. <laughs> and, and while we think the book is marvelous, we love it. Every member of my family has their own copy. Everybody in my book club was happy to have one or more copies in their home. It was still just a really healthy experience for us to read about Joan of Arc through the eyes of somebody who was not Catholic who was not English, was not French, was not Catholic, therefore had no skin in the game at all. <laughs> and to see how he presents her. And we still loved his book and loved her, even if we went, oh, well, yeah, that that's a little different. So. Yeah. And
1: I think it's nice to be able to show your children that not everyone thinks the same. I mean, and there's mm-hmm. a time and a place for that, right? But not, there's billions of people on the planet who look at the story of the mm-hmm. savior and they see it differently than you do. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that's an interesting concept for a child at some point to consider that someone else will look at that story and have a completely different perspective and opinion
4: mm-hmm. on what it
1: means. Right. And and that, that's kind of what I felt like that that book did a good job of is putting it into a historical aspect and still showing the importance of the story, even if you didn't have put even if you didn't weight it from a religious perspective perspective at the same level right and i think that's fascinating to me and that same author wrote two other landmarks he wrote one on martin luther and the life of saint paul yeah. and again i think his theology might come through a little bit in both of those books so as with any any book that you're reading with your children you want to be able to go in and have good conversations about how some people come to certain conclusions and why maybe
0: we come to different conclusions and Well, and that's, that's what we're doing in your mighty networks group, right? So we are reading a wide variety of books, different one each month. And this month, while we're recording this, it's in September and we're still reading the borrowed house, which some parents have a different, you know, they have some anxiety about reading that with their child. We would agree. Don't turn your child loose on the borrowed house, at least pre-read it. Know what you're reading because there's a powerful, incredibly good story in here, but you're going to need to have some conversations about it. And then next month we're reading Joan of Arc and then we're doing Mismantle and Mismantle's marvelous, but it also has some things in it that you are going to want to at least pre-read and discuss. And that's what we want. We want these books to facilitate that kind of bonding between parent and child.
3: I have learned so much from Plumfield Moms podcast and the book reviews. It's helped me. Thank you. Um, I share it on my library group, Facebook page to encourage my moms to listen because I can't share all that every time they're taking out books. Right. 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 I, I went through probably 700 books this week that were brought in and that many taken out again. Wow. So I just, (laughs) that's amazing. I try to make comments where I can. I try to say, uh, this is meant for like 14 and up. So even though your eight-year-old can read it, Just wait. Yeah. (laughs) I, I do that when I know, but listening to the podcast has really brought those things more freshly to my mind in those books so that I can better recommend them or put a caution on them where needed. Thank you. I was just thinking how for most of us, we
1: also don't feel like we had a great American history education probably. And so as we are teaching our children We are learning. So we might have new moms that are learning about living books and having their whole world opened. And hopefully this podcast episode will help them see more of the importance of the stories. And then we're trying to redeem our own education. Yes. And I just want to share what Catherine Shippen said at the end of her review here, because I just, I felt like this was something that we could relate to. And it also just kind of closes on why the landmarks are so important. Mm. So she said, so the long story of America's history is told again. Here again is the discovery of the new land, the settlement, the struggle to attain freedom, the building of the new nation, the push across the mountains to the West, the conquest not only of the land, but of the air. People move back and forth across the pages. Their talk goes echoing through the books. They are not stock people with set virtues. Many of them are rough. Some are intelligent and thoughtful some are clever and ingenious, but they are all alike Americans, with American roads to travel, American problems to face. Reading the landmark books, I remembered my own study of American history at the age of 10. Then the voyages of Columbus were simply three black lines drawn on a map. The causes of the American Revolution were a list to be learned, and our class, going through the textbook at the rate of about four pages a day, never got to the last part of it before june came in the summer vacation so we never read about the Wright brothers then or perhaps they were not even included in our textbook the books at home didn't tell much about such matters either the writing of history for young people has certainly come a long way since we first studied it the publication of this series of books is in itself a landmark in that progress oh i love Beautiful. that i like that's not that so good i just think that's so true i think that children's books a lot of these from that time period are good for me (laughs) I like them just as much as my kids like them and I don't mind reading them just when people ask me what I'm reading sometimes I'm like well I'm reading a bunch of kids
0: books (laughs) (laughs) well Jill always says she doesn't have time to read anymore because for pleasure because all she reads is for work and we always say yeah but the books you read are such a pleasure to read Yeah,
2: I have to agree on that. And I also feel like I'm homeschooling myself too, Tanya. <laughs> I'm learning so much more now than I ever learned in high school. And I was in high school in the 70s. And I think American history was really bad back then too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, we the so many who,
3: here.
1: and we have so many children who that's the subject they don't love. Like you'll have children say, history. And I just <laughs> think, oh, of all the subjects, I mean, I love literature and I love a lot of other subjects too, but history, (laughs) be still Mm -hmm. my heart. I want (laughs) kids to love learning
3: about people.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, The word story is in history, you know, and so it should be told as a story and not just dry facts. And that's what the landmark books do. They tell the story. Yes. I wanted to mention, and I, you can either put this in the notes or not, depending after you look it up. But there is a list online of the chronological order of the landmark books by Cheryl Bastion on a blogspot post. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll send that to you, and which I found helpful. Just mm-hmm. any period you're studying, here are those books that sure, you sure. might be able to get access to, and then there the Collector's Guide by Gary Mitchell that you talked about. And then there is also a World Landmark Books, A Homeschooler's Guide by Karen Thiessen. Mm -hmm. I actually just ordered a copy today because I I didn't know that existed.
0: Wow. Um,
3: Wow. And so I'm going to take a look at it and see if it's worthy to really share with others and make sure. But it sounds good. Awesome. Um,
0: Well, and I think like books like that, if you bought that and you bought landmark books,
3: you wouldn't need to buy any history books at all. I've actually told my patrons, if you just start at the beginning and read every landmark, you will have U.S. and world history, covered. the high points of it, well covered. Yeah. Yes. And then you
0: can turn your kids loose on the particular period or p- people that they are most passionate about. If it's the West, if it's trains, whatever it is, and they can just do a deep dive on space <laughs> or nurses.
1: And then the other thing is that on BiblioGuides we have a lot of series lists that are free available to the public. So Good. members so people could just go look at the landmark list on biblioguides for free and see a cover which i think is nice the visual representation. Yes. yes. is so helpful cuz then you can just get it in your mind and you know what you're looking for. So anybody can go and take a look at that list and then members can sort the list chronologically or any history series can be mm-hmm. sorted of chronologically which then if you were wanting to put them on yeah. your shelves chronologically Instead of by set or series, that's yes. a big project. We didn't even touch on that, but just figuring that out is a lot of work, <laughs> yeah. especially biographies. Yeah. Is it birth date is it? Death yeah, date? Is, is, is it birth
0: 20? Right. How do you do it?
1: Yeah. So, so that can help you if you have a membership that you can sort it and then know how to shelve it for yourself mm-hmm. um, is a good benefit. So, so, how
0: is it sorted though, Tanya? We do bir- we did birth
3: date, birth date, okay, for, for biographies.
0: Yeah. Sandy, what were you going to say?
3: Also reading on BiblioGuides about the authors. Mm -hmm. There's so much rich information there that brings the book itself to life. And whenever Jill has added those letters and from the authors and just the podcast about her meeting Leonard Kessler, it's like these (laughs) authors come to life and then you appreciate their books even more. Like now that I know, I didn't know it was Bennett Cerf that was the first to get this whole thing rolling with the landmarks. I appreciate him even more because he's not just this one faceted person that wrote riddles, books of riddles and funny things. He got this whole movement started that was so beautiful and, but so different from what he actually wrote and published himself. And you just have a more multifaceted view of the author. And then
4: you take that to their books. It's, enriches the whole book itself. Yay. And if you have to go through the riddle books with several kids, you don't really appreciate them anymore anyway. So (laughs) that is nice to know.
3: (laughs) I just wanted to caution people too, that there are some other books more recently printed that are labeled as landmarks,
0: Yeah, but they're not,
3: they're not landmarks. Like some of them meet meet so-and-so Mm-hmm. Those step up books have yeah. been reprinted yeah. in paperback and labeled as landmark. And that really confuses people. Um, yes. So yes. keep an eye for that.
0: I'm glad you said that, Sandy, because I, I, when I first got started, I found some of those, and went,
3: this doesn't seem right. right. On the landmark giant books, we talked a little mm-hmm. bit about that. I have two favorites um, one is The Life in the Renaissance. By Marzia Gale, Marzia Gale. I love that book because it's difficult to find good living books on the Renaissance period. My Renaissance section of my library is like this big. Oh wow, it's small, and obviously there are biographies and there's some some historical fiction, but very little of the nonfiction. Sure. And there's like one, the Maid in the Renaissance, and just several others, but this one. If you were to need a spine to study the Renaissance, that would be a great place to go. It's not the kind of book that you're going to sit and read aloud as a family, but it's a good resource of the content of the Renaissance. And then also The Great American Battles by Robert Leckie. He also wrote two other ones, the landmark books, The Battle of Iwo Jima and The War in Korea. So he's definitely on that military history side. And his Great American Battles, would make a great spine also if you just had that as a semester that we're just going to study the great battles Mm -hmm. of American history. So those are two of my favorites. I think one thing that's neat is we tend to look back at, okay, this was the beginning of the landmarks and all that that produced, but you ladies doing what you're doing, Jill, Sarah, Diane, Tanya, with your areas. And then those ladies that are doing all of the libraries, we ladies, I should say properly, we ladies <laughs> that are doing the libraries, you know, 40 years from now, I hope people can look back. There were efforts made in this yes. season of history to preserve and produce good quality about children's literature. So we tend to look back at these past heroes of our field of interest. But you ladies are going to be that same thing. Do you remember when Biblioguides first started? Do you remember Mm -hmm. when people like Jill started reprinting these good books? We're so glad that they did. And so your grandchildren will look back on your efforts and realize the good that was done during this season. So I appreciate it. I'm learning from you. I want to continue to learn as old as I get. (laughs)
0: well likewise sandy i mean you guys you specifically and your cohorts of other library ladies you guys have been great preservers and researchers and curators and like you say these kids come into your into your libraries and they say i want x and you're only going to give them good choices and only god knows what's going to happen 20 years from now based on the books they read in your library like you said at the beginning of this who's going to write the history of the last few decades and the decades to come they ha- it has to be written we need people to be writing the history in that style and yes. only people who could do that are the ones who've
3: grown up reading this i think so that's one other thing i wanted to say it and it's not just the landmarks but the landmark books themselves were written by such scholarly and well spoken men and women, they wrote so well. Mm -hmm. If you were just looking at it from a language view, the literary elements that are in there, the variety of sentence structure, you know, you compare what's written Mm -hmm. in the Pilgrim Landing of the Pilgrims to just a modern pilgrims book and compare the difference in the quality of writing. There's no comparison. Mm -hmm. Um, But that produces good writing in your mm-hmm. children,
0: I right. guarantee
3: that I've seen that in my own children and other families that read well, mm-hmm. their children write well, they so do that's one benefit to those kinds of books.
0: Today's Friday uh, podcast, Diane has the first of her early reader series. So years ago, she started writing and compiling what are the best books to get kids into reading because Diane loves to teach reading. I loathe it. Diane loves it. <laughs> I thought you too are I like, and today is the first of it being recorded. So the first recorded version of it and the comparison Diane, right? Is that the early readers of the old days were so much better than the I can read books of today, because the the vocabulary is better. The stories are better. What else would you say, Diane?
4: Well, they weren't pandering to the baser instincts of children. We mm-hmm. now have to bring everything down to their level and have it be all about bodily functions and, and gross things, thinking that kids will only pay attention to that. And so they are, the stories are very fleeting. They won't be here 50 years from now. No. But But, Danny, the dinosaur will.
3: Yes. The books on your (laughs) list will be. Yeah. I actually did a comparison for a class I taught last year, and I took the first two paragraphs of Robert McClung's book on alligators Mm -hmm. and a modern book I picked up at the public library about alligators. Mm -hmm. I typed up both first two paragraphs and then I asked about 10 questions. How many sentences? How many words per sentence? How many adjectives, how many literary devices like simile or metaphor, how many figurative, how many words a second grader might not know, but could learn about in this context? Mm -hmm. How many sentences just started with the subject as opposed to an adverb or a participial phrase, you know, or a prepositional phrase? The difference was absolutely astounding, astounding try it sometime or i'll I'll send you ladies what i yeah. did it really almost just made me ill because yeah. it's so poorly written mm-hmm. the alligator lives in the swamp he likes to da, 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 be careful when you're near an alligator alligators are not pets that's how it's <laughs> written as opposed to describing the animal where he lives and who this character is and you you, it's like you just want to go into that setting there's such a difference and that's That's the same thing with the landmark books that's the exact same thing if we were to
4: compare Mm -hmm. and i probably will now that i've talked about it (laughs) yeah
0: we should collaborate and do that together
4: that's part of that's part of bringing books down to kids level is to say well a second grader could only read these words and so we're going to we don't want to make them feel bad by not knowing this word, or we don't want to assume that they know too much or turn them off and making them have to work or whatever it is where it used to be that we were trying to challenge them to bring them up mm-hmm. a step every time they read. What did you learn from this story? Well, the pictures were good. Mm-hmm. I was reading to a class yesterday, a little book that one of my girls brought and we were done with everything else. And it was just a little like a, six inch square book that came with a Jaguar and it was about Jaguars. The pictures were darling, but now everything's, they all had thought bubbles like Jaguar sitting there thinking about what he's going to do. And it was all really short, choppy stuff. Cause now you know something about Jaguars, right? And it didn't hurt your brain and it was cute.
3: I have a friend that way back when we were first starting to homeschool, she homeschooled her children as well. They lived way out in the country and one night they took a walk and it was very, very dark because they were away from all the lights of the city and they're walking along and the suns are like five and seven. All of a sudden the little seven-year-old pulls on mommy's hand and goes, mommy, look at the stars. They're piercing the darkness. And she just oh. looked at him like, what, what did you say? I still get <laughs> chills telling the story because he said, where did you get that? He goes, it was in that book you were reading to us. Oh. And you don't even know what's going to capture. No. Yeah, And they're going to mull. He would never come up with that by himself at mm. seven years old, mm. but mm. he did and he understood the use of it. And then he was able to speak it in the right time. That's what reading these good books will do. Mm-hmm. It opens up ideas. Mm-hmm. And then another lady shared with me, she was trying to get her 10-year-old son to read Farmer Boy. Hmm. So she said, before you go to sleep tonight, you have to read chapter one. He read chapter one. The next night, you have to read chapter two before you go to sleep. He's like, oh, mom, oh, I don't want to do that. She goes, yes, chapter two. The next night, same thing, chapter three. It was like 1130 at night, her husband works as a prison guard so he wasn't home they live way out in the country she's up working on stuff in the house and she hears footsteps it's her son he's walking down the stairs and he's going "mom we have to get chickens we have to get chickens" she's like "that's what living books do they yeah. open the ideas in a child's mind and right. they want to pursue it more either to learn more or to do it of some yeah. sort or to use the language that you've read that's what these books do and and the landmark books are like that as well even though they're informational they're just they're beautifully written they're beautiful stories they're quality literature mm-hmm. they're not dumbing down to children mm-hmm. and simplifying they're they're enriching and telling a beautiful story and helping you to know those people and know the events and live it again through right. the eyes of someone that has learned a lot about this time
0: they assume an intelligence and a maturity Yes. and they are speaking to what the child will become yes. in a voice that the child can hear right now. I think they also connect the child to a time and a place that we might not otherwise know about because these kinds of things, yes, there'll always be books on pilgrims. There's not always going to be a book on Captain Kidd. We're going to find some reason to exclude him at some point. Like Geronimo, I had no desire to read Geronimo, but because I love Ralph Moody, I read the book, and now I love Geronimo. And now, when if my son does go to Wyoming Catholic College, which is our hope, and we go out and see Diane, who lives in Wyoming, we have mm-hmm. all these places out west that we want to stop and see because of
3: landmark books, <laughs> which I think is marvelous. <laughs> I would say another thing to do with any of the landmark books that you're reading is actually now that we have internet access to go look up a picture. What did he really look like? Is there a painting of Custer's last battle? Find out about that painting and who did it and just enrich your studies. You know, and if you're going to take a vacation, like you're talking about taking a trip, then make sure you read before you go. If there's a landmark related, you're going to Plymouth, you're going to Boston, you know, those Washington, DC, um, any of those kinds of places If there's a book on it, like The Gold Rush, you're going out West. Yes. Study and read about those.
0: (laughs) Well, this has been just absolutely marvelous. Jill, we really want people to understand that you have reprinted Captain Kidd and Combat Nurses. Those are available right now. They can Mm -hmm. buy them directly from you or on bookshop.org or other places where they buy books. Sandy, do you know what bookshop.org's ethics are? So Jill is the one who directed us to bookshop.org because they support bricks and mortar stores and libraries. They actually believe in supporting small booksellers. So when you buy a book from bookshop.org, Jill, how are they pricing wise? Because they go through Ingram, right? So it doesn't make a difference to you. I think they discount most of their
2: books by 5% or so.
0: Okay. So is that, that's a better ratio for you?
2: Um, it's the same for us because we get paid off of a percentage of retail, but I think they do mark down uh, most of the books by five or 10% for their
0: retail customers. Gotcha. And, and then a commission is paid. So if you go in like through an affiliate link, uh, so Jill asked us, Hey, drop your Amazon affiliate links and switch to <laughs> bookshop.org. And actually we've never made a ton of money on affiliate links, but you know, it's, if we could pay for our website, that'd be great. That's all we're trying to do. <laughs> Like they actually tell you exactly what people bought and how much they're paying you for what people bought. And then they're also donating a portion of their profits to small bookshops, bricks and mortar stores, that kind of a thing.
2: Well, the nice thing is is that when you're the customer buying the book, you get to specify what bookstore you want to help support. So a portion of your sale will go to your local bookstore or library or whoever you select.
0: So it's pretty marvelous. And if you're going to buy online and you're not going to buy directly from a publisher because you want to go to a big kind of like, I want to buy this book from this person and that from that, it's a great way to do it while supporting the small book industry. Is that the right way to say it, Jill?
2: Yeah. And they're a nonprofit, so they give away a lot of what they take in. So that's why we say bookshop.org.
4: Well, ladies, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. sweet uh, Sandy and Jill and Tanya, thank you for your time. And it has been very fun to meet you, Sandy, and to have everybody together. <laughs> you guys are quickly becoming some of my very favorite people on the
0: internet and in real life. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying this conversation we had today. And I think we're going to have more of them. So I think we have a lot more to say. I'd even love to have a conversation where we compare the landmark and the signature series and maybe some of the others uh, pluses minuses why you might want to have both, all of that kind of stuff.
1: I'll be excited to hear the podcast on this one. I think it will be really good.
0: So thank you so much ladies for being here. We look forward to having you back.
3: No, I just want to say thank you. I learned a lot here today. Thank you for having me too. And I just encourage you to carry on.